Hi, I'm Ellen. And I'm Marley Grace. As we begin this podcast, we invite you to take a moment and center yourself to hear from God. Breathe in, breathe out, slowly and intentionally. Father, quiet our thoughts from the many distraction that this world so consistently presents us. Quiet our thoughts of anxiety, loneliness, fear, and hurry as we come before you and grow in the spiritual practice of discernment. Teach us how to hear your voice both individually and communally. We submit to your teaching, to your voice, and to your faithful instruction. Amen. In this podcast, we'll be talking about the practice of discernment. Discernment is the spiritual practice in which we are invited to step into deeper union with the activity of God through careful listening and intentional reflection through both individual withdrawal and communal activity. This is seen through taking times of prayer where we are in silence and solitude, having a deep sensitivity to our emotions, meaning that we are in tune with how our body feels and how the group around us feels. This is through slow and continual immersion. It is not a fast instantaneous thing, but something we come together and practice multiple times. Ellen, can you talk more about the biblical background of discernment for us? And we're gonna first look at the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 18, goes over how we understand true and false prophets. Prophecy was the main form of divination in, in ancient Israel. Other cultures had other understandings of um, how to understand what the gods were thinking or desired. Um, but in Israel, the only um, true form of divination was prophecy. And prophecy was directly inspired by God. So this was receiving messages, um, such as when you see things like somebody was given the words in their mouth or something like that. Um, And we see this in many of the major and minor prophets. And also people could receive prophecy through dreams. Um, And these were the main ways that people received God's word. It was never from something like um, other practices had intestines or stars that you would try to read. Uh, God never wanted people to need to um, interpret material data. It was, uh, he wanted to give his words to his people. And um, prophets ideally served a role in helping to discern God's will for the people especially in the court setting with the king when there was a united monarchy in Israel with under David and Solomon. Um, the prophets functioned in the court. They were supposed to help the king know that um, they were or were not following God. And so they could contradict the king um, because they were the ones receiving God's direct voice. Um, and sometimes the kings were not willing to hear from God's voice. But as the kingdom split, and um, prophets became more and more peripheral to the court because kings didn't want to be contradicted. They wanted um, their own ideas to rule the kingdom and not God's. We see an example of this in Jeremiah 28, one through 16. In this uh, story, uh, Hananiah 
prophesies the breaking of the yoke of Babylon and the return of the exiles. This is a joyous image. People, of course, want this. It sounds great. Uh, but Jeremiah is like, uh, guys, that's not going to happen. Uh, and they're obviously pretty upset about it uh, because they want Hananiah's prophecy to be true and not Jeremiah's. And so Jeremiah also gives a prophecy that Hananiah will die. And a prophet was proven true if their prophecy came true. And um, here Hananiah dies. And so Jeremiah is the true prophet and not Hananiah. And therefore Jeremiah's uh, prophecy about um, people, about Babylon actually coming to take Jerusalem will be true. In the Old Testament, as I said, there were legitimate ways to receive and understand words from God. True prophets were attuned to the voice of God and their prophecies came true. In the practice of discernment, we too can be attuned to God's voice and decisions we feel led to make will be for the glory of God. They will come true and they will align with the character of God. That's great, Ellen. <laughs> in the New Testament, uh, we still see these practices. It's not so much in prophetic words from God, though there is some prophecy in the New Testament. Um, but we're going to look at the example of group discernment in the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. Um, so I'm just going to point out some details in some of the verses. In verse 4, we see that the, uh, the people at the council reported everything God has done for them. This means they brought all the details into the process of discernment. They offered all the information. In verse 6 through 7, there is consideration and discussion. And then in verse 10, Peter asks, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? This shows that discernment should align with God's purposes and the flourishing for all and not contradict God's character. Um, Peter is asking, why would we make it more difficult for Gentiles to be a part of God's people when we're not making it as difficult for ourselves? And so in verse 19, um, he says, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Mm. And then in verse 12, uh, there's also a practice of silence and listening. Um, so in the New Testament, we see an example and other notes about group discernment. Um, there's, for example, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21, we read, do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Through the council, oh, sorry. Though the council did not directly hear a word from God, they shared with one another all the information to make the best decision about the relationship of Gentiles entering into the people of God. Um, and they considered the options, the consequences. They measured their possibilities with what they knew about God and his desire for human flourishing and um, his desire for community and unity within his people. The elements of group spiritual discernment here reflect Ignatius's discernment practice. Ellen, I love how you talk about group discernment within the New Testament, especially since we talk about discernment as um, a communal application within our definition, and we'll definitely talk more about it as we go through this podcast. But I'm really curious because as we go into Ignatius, we see him more as an individual discernment um, type of person, his practice is more individualized. So I was wondering if you would mention and talk through this individual discernment, what does that look like through the life of St. Ignatius? 
Mm -hmm. Let's start with a background of St. Ignatius. He was born in 1491 and lived to 1556. So that's our, our time frame. And um, he was from Spain. And he uh, was, uh, he was part of the court setting in Spain. So he lived a rich and enthusiastic court life. He, he had the things. <laughs> um, and he was also a knight. And in one of his battles in Spain, he, uh, against the French, he was hit by a cannonball. Um, not like a gigantic, don't think like a gigantic <laughs> blow everything away cannonball, otherwise you wouldn't have survived. I was about to say. Um, <laughs> it's a smaller cannonball, but still a cannonball. I'm sure it wasn't pleasant. Um, <laughs> and um, he had to have surgery. Uh, and he spent many months in uh, recovering. And the only reading available to him at the place he was recovering was stories of saints. Wow. And this inspired him to embark on a pilgrimage and live as a beggar. And if you remember, as I said earlier, he had everything and a very rich life beforehand. And now he is living as a beggar uh, because he wanted to and because he was so inspired by these other saints. And he wanted to study, um, but he didn't just want to become a priest. He wanted to study for years and years. Um, and so he started in Barcelona but he ran into some trouble with the Spanish Inquisition a few too many times and he decided to leave and go to Paris. Mm -hmm. And along the way in Spain and in Paris, he gained followers and they, uh, and he heard a word from God, or well, a word from Jesus that he should, that he and his group should become um, people of service to Jesus. And so St. Ignatius founded the Jesuits, um, which is a group committed um, to faith and to serving the world. And they did things like um, opening schools and caring for people in hospitals and the poor. They're just the, the agents of, of Jesus. So he not only started as individual discernment, but he also led a group, the Jesuits, who are they still around today, yeah. Alan? Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. So he took his individual discernment and then figured out how to enhance it communally. I'd love to hear more about this aim that Ignatius gives. <laughs> yeah. So his aim of discernment was that discernment enhances one's participation in the work of God so that the glory and the healing of the world, uh, so that the glory of God and the healing of the world could come to be. Um, so discernment can start out as an individual practice, um, but it really is meant to be communal because just as we saw in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, um, you needed people to test one another and um, be, everyone needed to know something. Everyone needed to be aware of God and um, who God is so that they would know if a prophecy or um, a decision was in alignment with God's character. Um, and Ignatius most famous practice is this 30-day retreat when you become it's to in order to make a decision you take these 30 days away um, mm -hmm. to make a decision and it begins with um, gathering all the information as I talked about with the Jerusalem Council um, you look at the pros and cons the consequences the details you might even consult experts on 
that related to the decision you're trying to make. Maybe you're trying to make a decision about where to go to college and you'll consult your admissions counselor, for example. <laughs> um, and then in that period of time, you spend first some time consulting the negative decision, the decision you don't really wanna make. And you bring that before God in prayer. And you, a, a lot of this, um, as Marley said at the beginning, uh, is naming those emotions, those visceral feelings, um, this wasn't just supposed to be an intellectual decision based on the best uh, computation of information. This was this was real. Um, decisions were not just intellectual and mental. They were also emotional and physical. I'm into that. <laughs> and then um, you went into a period of time consulting the positive and repeating that process of um, naming emotions and thoughts. And then you make a tentative decision um, based on what you've processed. Um, and this is perhaps not the decision you'll end up with um, later on, but you have to take action. Um, and uh, as um, Frank Rogers says, discernment is for actions. You maybe postpone that. So you wanna feel a feeling of peace when you make a decision. Um, you might hear people say, I felt at peace about this decision. And that is the language used here. Um, and you might postpone a decision if you still aren't feeling peace. And then you might repeat the process of gathering information and consulting feelings and things like things like that. Um, but the goal is not to look for the absolute most perfect decision you can make. Um, the goal is to live into what you feel God is calling you too, based on the time you've spent to know God's will. And this is why that continual immersion is so important, because if you don't know God's will, um, it's going to be very difficult. If you're not continually in God's will, it's going to be very difficult to just randomly make a decision and try to discern <laughs> God's will. Um, you have, discernment is, is daily and lifelong. So that's some background on Ignatian spirituality. Marley, what's another figure we see associated with discernment in church history? Yeah, well, the person I have is one of my favorite people in the entire world. Wish he was still alive today because mm -hmm. I would definitely be following him around. Um, <laughs> on Twitter, Instagram. <laughs> absolutely. I would be like all the social media. Um, <laughs> the next person we have that loved discernment and really practice it was Henry Nowen. Um, he was born in 1932 and died in 1996. And before we get into this, I just want to note that both Nowen and Ignatius come from a contemplative background, and we don't want this to be limited to just contemplative. So I wanted to point out that when we get into the cultural view of the spiritual practice of discernment and even ministerial implications, we will be talking about other figures in the world um, who are from the evangelical tradition and some others. Um, so we didn't want to disregard them, but these two people from the contemplative tradition really stand out when it comes to the spiritual practice of discernment. What's really funny is that Nowen actually started out studying to be a part of the Jesuit order, which Ignatius um, had started himself, but because of the academic rigor, he mm. dropped out and was like, nah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this anymore. <laughs> so he was like, I'm not gonna become a part of the Jesuit order, but I still want to become a priest. And the emphasis that he had was this idea of pastoral care. And what ma makes Nowen so intriguing is that he also had this heavy concentration and study in psychology. So mm. he got his undergrad in Christian ministries and biblical studies, 
but for his master's, he actually went for psychology to understand the brain and how to discern and look at people on a ministry, uh, at a ministry level, That's uh, which is so cool. Like, it's so cool to see how we can look at real life things such as psychology and blend it with vocational ministry. And now and does that so beautifully. Um, and one particular thing that I think through spiritual discernment that he does is he writes a book during a nine month period. So kind of, you know, that the mimicking of the 30 day uh, resignation that Ignatius gives, well, he does it over a nine month period, um, mm -hmm. figuring out what he should be doing um, specifically if he should be moving to Latin America to become a missionary. And so he writes this book and talks about how discernment is a deep growth of a lifelong communion with God. And he gives examples such as this incredible woman. Her name is Marta Robin. She was a woman who was paralyzed and was bedridden. She sat in silence. And because she sat in silence, Nowen talks about how she was able to discern the voice of God, not only through her sitting in silence, but through communication and conversation she had with people who visited her and through prayer, which is so cool because prayer is so fundamental to the spiritual practice of discernment. And it's not just an individual task, it's communal. So she would pray with people and inevitably she ended up telling someone that they needed to create a space for silence um, in the form of a, a retreat center. And this person was like, oh my goodness, how in the world am I gonna do this? She's like, listen to me. This is what the voice of God has told me that we should be able to dwell in community, whether it's in silence or in noise to discern the voice of God. And this person created this retreat center and it was amazing and it flourished and it really helped take root of like what spiritual discernment looked like. Um, so now and gives these different examples and talks about how through pastoral care and through psychology, we were able to sit with one another um, in his priesthood, he was able just to travel. He was a professor at Harvard and Yale. Um, he was a pastor and then ultimately discerned that he would end up at a community in Canada called La Arc, which is a community for people who have disabilities, whether it's behavioral, physical, mentally, um, different disabilities. And he sat with them and was taught so much by their presence on how to discern the voice of God just through listening and rhythms and dwelling in community, um, which is so cool. So Henry Nowen, such a guy, such a great guy. <laughs> it's so cool because he started out as very similar to Ignatius, but then kind of had a different path in blending um, vocational ministry with practical implications in life so that we can see the practice of discernment. Yeah, I think it's really neat to see the um, the story of these of these two lives, um, and and we can look at them now and see the fruit that was produced by them and uh, how they've carried forward after uh, for Ignatius centuries and for now and decades. But I'm sure there were obstacles in their way as well. Marley, what do you think is a potential obstacle in our day uh, for practicing discernment well? Well, there definitely are so many, and I would even say that this obstacle that I'm about to talk about, that I am about to talk through, actually was still an obstacle probably in the time of Nowen and potentially in the time of Ignatius, but specifically this obstacle is very prevalent today. 
and that is the inundation of information. We, as this generation, are unable to just sit and listen or to find even a quiet place. Um, particularly in the pandemic, I recently saw on Instagram um, that the New York Times posted this kind of log of different people who have experienced this sense of burnout or this inundation of information and not being able to pull away. And there's this quote by Natalie Fiaco, who was an art director in New York, who said, logging off at the end of the day, it's nearly impossible. Once the world went into a lockdown a year ago, I felt like I logged on to work and I'm still waiting to log off. Mm -hmm. I think this is so incredibly important for us to understand that since before the lockdown of COVID, we were already feeling this inundation of information with social media, like constantly being on Instagram or the influx of news. But now since we've been living over a year in this pandemic, people are feeling it even more to the point of burnout. Um, so I thought that was really interesting, it had nothing to do with, with spirituality, but it had to, really what to do with real people in real life. But to look from an evangelical perspective, Jefferson Beth Key, he is a writer and a pastor, had a book called To Hell with the Hustle, which is a great book, definitely recommend it. And he talks a lot about discernment. Um, which is awesome and what it means to pursue a life of quiet. So I'd love to read a little excerpt he gives yeah. about Mr. Rogers um, and how Mr. Rogers, we know like, welcome to the neighborhood, how <laughs> he fought and he sought um, silence so that we were able to sit in community and not feel inundated with information. So the book says, Rogers knew that and he knew it was creating a culture of buzz and anxiety. So he fought for the opposite. Think of the boardroom fight that must have happened at least once or twice. Fred, you can't be silent for 10 seconds and say or do absolutely nothing on TV. That's the equivalent of a year in television time. People will immediately turn it off. But Rogers knew the difference. The media's culture of noise is like giving someone meth or cocaine. It overstimulates, lies to your senses, and then something in you weirdly craves it again. Even though before you experienced it, you never realized you desired it. The only way to fight something like that is with the anchored, deep, slow presence of silence. Silence today is so rare, so undervalued, and that is an act of resistance. And I think we see this also through now and ideas of spiritual practices of prayer and contemplation. It's not an easy thing. Seeking silence is not easy. And we also, um, Mr. Rogers is from the Presbyterian tradition. So again, we have people that are more than the contemplative tradition speaking uh -huh. into this need for silence and um, careful listening. Absolutely. And we are just so entrenched in a world of instantaneous information and overnight success that we have no idea that a life with Christ is countercultural to that. It is slow and rhythmic and not in our control. Um, and that is so beautiful. One thing that I feel like we as Christians in our community today need to really focus on is that we are not an individual all the time but that faith is beautifully communal. Um, and that looks like discernment as intercessory prayer where we pray for one another and we discern the voice of God and how we are able to listen to the voice 
and to see like in what situations can we help our brothers and sisters. Nowen says it requires a willingness not just to read, but to be read, not just to master, but to be mastered by words. As long as we read the Bible or a spiritual book simply to acquire knowledge, our reading does not help us in our spiritual life. But it's really getting to the heart of community and allowing others to speak into your life. Um, a lot of times this has pushback, particularly um, when it comes to the practices of sitting in silence um, and Sabbath. Sabbath is a great part of spiritual discernment that I feel like we most often forget. And one implication that can come up is a lot of people are like, man, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I have five kids. How the heck am I going to pursue Sabbath or quiet? Like I have no room to be quiet. Or perhaps you work five jobs and you don't have this time. I just want to point out, um, I read this article by the Gospel Coalition that says that we are not to be like a Pharisee. The practice of discernment is not legalistic and has to be done a particular way. But rather it is not found in the terms of our do's and don't list. It is a remembrance weekly, which is Sabbath, that our God is holy and as his people, we are to be the same. When we, when we Sabbath with this in mind, our hands may do good while our hearts continue to rest in the good news of the gospel. I don't want there to be this understanding that Sabbath has to look like a 24 hour period that is completely quiet but rather it is a place to delight and to hear the voice of God. It is allowing your heart and your mind to be open and to practice that so that it can influence seven days of your week. It is not just for someone who is able to retreat and go away and do something fancy on the weekends. No, it is for every single person and it looks different. And I think we need to get away from this idea that Sabbath has to be perfect. There are so many obstacles, but we still have so many opportunities in spiritual discernment. Alan, would you mind talking about the work of reconciliation and the opportunity it provides us with this practice? Absolutely. Um, when Marley and I were thinking about uh, obstacles and opportunity, this idea of the work of reconciliation came up and it also came up in Frank Rogers' chapter on discernment. So discernment, has uh, uh, Rogers offers some criteria for discernment and um, and also these lead into the idea of the work of reconciliation. So I'm just gonna go through some of these criteria. Um, one is the fruit of the spirit in a person and in a community. And we can see the absence of the fruit. Um, and, the, and the whole point of the fruit of the spirit is love. Um, and so if there is um, disunity in a group, there is a, mis a um, disordering of love. Uh, secondly, there should be an inner authority and peace in discernment. There's a peace and calm, calm certainty, a humble, serene attitude. Um, and again, in a group, if this is not the case, then there is something to be reconciled. And um, in uh, discernment, there should also be an openness to correction. Um, like I said earlier with Ignatius retreat, the point was not to make the, the, the only one right decision, 
um, it was possible the decision you made also needed to be later discerned that that wasn't currently the, the next thing, the next right step. Um, so we have to be open to correction from one another. We may think we've heard God say something and someone else may think we've, they've heard something that's contradictory. And we have to be open that maybe the thing we heard isn't correct, or maybe both of those things need to be um, harmonized together, which is the next thing, communal harmony, which is uh, toward the work of reconciliation. And fourthly, um, enhancement rather than extinction of life. The whole point of uh, making a decision by the spirit is that it brings wholeness mm -hmm. and health and not dysfunction and diminishing of persons. So we see um, Rogers says, discernment orients the conversation and imagination of communities toward participation in God's activity by inviting members to share in the goal of that activity, the new creation. So if we as the body of Christ, as the, as the, big, the big body, <laughs> the whole church, um, we take part in the work of reconciliation in our communities um, as believers because we are to be united to bring flourishing to the world. And um, this practice of discernment can help us to slow down and realize those spaces where we are not harmonized, where we are not feeling an inner peace um, as a whole group, where we are uh, not promoting the wholeness and health of all. Rogers also says, in this practice, we encounter precious opportunities to cooperate with other people and be alert to the activity of God. The activity of God is never limited to one person. It is always in a community. It is always within other people as well. And so it is, it is within creation as well. So um, to be discerning is to be with others and um, to seek cooperation and sometimes we're co uh, cooperation involves reconciliation and reconciliation involves deep reflection on self and others in order to come together in unity. Marley, what are some practical ways we practice, we can practice discernment in ministry? Absolutely. I want to break this down so simply because a lot of times we get to the practical application of spiritual practices and we become so increasingly confused because it seems so intangible or legalistic. So there are two ways I would look, like to look at this, one on the individual level and then communal. The individual level is we need to create a rule of life, which is creating a rhythm that allows us to intentionally meet with Jesus in a space that is reflective and receptive. Now, one word that would describe a rule of life is structured time, but we have to be very careful about this and not create a legalistic plan, but rather a guideline, guideline to direct us closer to the voice of God. This can be done in so many different ways. Um, now and talks about knowing Jesus, reading his words and praying allow for clarity, but I'd like to also mention how holistic health is important to the practice of spiritual discernment. Whether you go for a run or walk in nature, or you look at how you put good things into your body when you eat, these are all ways that we can discern the voice of God and how we live life that is going to glorify him. Furthermore, creating a rule of life is pertinent not only for the individual to hear the voice of God and to allow ourselves to be 
created as a being of discernment, but rather allows us to sit in community and to communicate and accept the unique voice of God through processing together. And I think one of the biggest ways we can do this is through small groups. But I'm not talking small groups where we have 20 people. I think micro groups would be the most effective in a church setting or you know, in a setting of believers because when we have micro groups, um, which means a group usually to around three to eight people, probably around five, that'd be like the golden number. This allows there to be this intimacy where confession and authenticity is fostered and it's not in solitude, it's together. And when we have these microgroups, we're allowing each other to speak into our lives, not to affirm, not to seek affirmation from one another, but to seek affirmation from God, um, which can be a limit because sometimes it's hard to be like, oh, is this my voice or, if this, or is this God's? But that's why having microgroups allows for there to be a funnel um, of, voice, of voices to authenticate and to corroborate the voice of God. So microgroups is a great way communally to sit in spiritual discernment. I think is it, it think, is, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, do you, you think that it would be helpful for a church to be able to set that up and offer those opportunities or do you see people more creating that uh, on their own? Oh, absolutely. I think churches can utilize this. I think of Francis Chan and how he, created this church model that was like micro churches where you know they would have six to eight people meet and then they would meet for a period of time and discern the voice of God and then they would become missionaries and they would set out and create different micro churches so they were going out they were learning together but then going out to create discipleship which um, is what we're called to do we look to Matthew 28 and that is what we're called to go therefore, and make disciples of all nations. But we cannot do that unless we sit together as the body of Christ and discern where God is calling us next. Ellen and I would like to thank you for listening to our podcast on spiritual discernment. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us at our Gordon email or if you have our phone numbers, we would love to talk more about the practice of discernment and how it can radically change your life with Christ. Thank you.